we do our Bible Institute on Wednesday nights. In case you don't know, we have a Bible Institute. I talk about that all the time. But uh, we have a Bible Institute where you can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree if you take courses. Uh, and it's all free. Um, there's 115 or so courses right now that you can take. Uh, they're all online. You take them at your own pace, at your own time. Uh, there's 798 students as of this morning. So over the next couple of days, that should pop over 800, which is always good. And it grows every week. Um, all over the world, there's students. We've also, over the last uh, beginning this year, we're added um, what I do on Wednesday night and what I do on the weekends are now also becoming courses. So if you're coming, you uh, as long as you're paying attention, at the end of this, uh, tomorrow when I post a lesson, I add a question that you should uh, be able to answer if you've been watching or you watch a video again. And at the very end of uh, when I finish a class, you, you have to write a little paper and you can get uh, credit for that. So if, even if you were just doing that for four years, you could earn an associate's degree. It's a pretty good deal if you if you want to do some of those things. So um, we do that. And those of you guys who are watching online, welcome. Glad you're watching. If you're watching later on a video, glad you're doing that as well. So we are moving through right now the epistles of Paul. Uh, Paul um, takes up a lot of the New Testament. He, he really is used by God to give direction to the church. Um, remember, it's a, it's a brand new thing back then. And so there's a lot of questions on how it's supposed to go and what's supposed to happen and how they handle situations. And a lot of these um, epistles were written, these letters were written back to the church, answering specific questions, dealing with certain problems. Not all of them were written for that, but a lot of them were. Uh, and they're, they're tackling a lot of issues um, that is going on. Uh, one of the big issues that Paul confronts is a group of people, and you've heard me say this, called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers came out of the church in Jerusalem, and they, they thought that what everybody needed to do was to not only know Christ, but to follow the law. And um, they came to these Gentile churches and started insisting that they get circumcised. And Paul said, that's not the case. And you're not going to do that. And that's not how it's supposed to be. And eventually the church works that out. But they had this group, the Judaizers, doing that, trying to insist that, that believers needed to follow the law. And I, I said it the other day, and some, I, some, they still exist, the Judaizers. There's, there's a group of people that are just like that, significant group of folks. And, and, um, and so it's, it's been ongoing. And, and they... And when you, when you meet some, yeah, you probably will run across some nice people in general, but they think you should be following the law as a Christian and observing everything that uh, they did. Um, they almost all don't like anything that Paul had to say. <laughs> That's kind of your clue if you ever get them. Oh, well, we don't, we don't want to do that. So um, Paul, however, dealt with that well. And Paul was, Paul was very grace-filled. He dealt with a lot of hard stuff, but he loved people so well and so he would go into these places, and every time he was there, no matter how long he was, they, they, they didn't want him to leave because people loved him. And even with the people that came, he would confront them, but he would, he would try and deal with things in a way that the Holy Spirit could move through them and ultimately help people. But if you remember, Paul even had to go and straighten out the apostle Peter at one point because Peter had been sort of sidetracked by the Judaizers. And Peter was the one God first used to reach out to the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius. And all of a sudden, this group was exerting so much pressure that they were starting to waver, and it did some early harm to the church. But um, Paul, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, was able to deal with it. And, you know, the church is still here, so obviously it survived that. So uh, don't you love the church? I love thinking about the church. 
If you, if you haven't heard me say this, maybe you have, but I'll repeat it. It's worth it. When you're, we're the church, right? We've been talking about that on the weekends too. Individually and corporately, we're the church. This is a facility. We're the church. We're the church gathered again this week, uh, right now. When you leave, you're the church on mission, but we're the church. But isn't it amazing? I often think about how we're part of something that's been going now for 2,000 years. And we're here because of the faithfulness of the people before us who, who stood uh, strong and preached the gospel and did the things they needed to do as the church so that we could be here today. And that at some, in some way, the book of Acts is still going on. And I always say that cautiously because people think we're adding scripture. We're not. The scripture is complete. But the story continues. And so we're the story now of the church. So when we're, we're looking at what was going on, it's still going on. And, and I love that about being in the middle of the story. Remember, I, if you've been here on the weekends, I say this very clearly has a very clear beginning in the first three chapters of Genesis, which is wrapped up in the last three chapters of Revelation. Um, so the amazing book has a beginning and an end, but the middle is still ongoing. And I love that idea and concept. If you never stop and think about what it means to be the church, let it impact you. It's significant. That understanding is significant how we will live this life. So Paul's been writing these things. I wanted to finish Ephesians because I only got through the end of chapter four last week. And so um, uh, we're doing, you know, this is kind of a survey of these letters. So in Ephesians five, um, what the message is on there is to we're to live as God's holy people. And when sometimes when we hear the idea of holiness, um, we we may not get that we because uh, I think sometimes the expectation of holy people is that they're kind of separate, that that really holy people, you know, are away from people. They're up on a mountain somewhere. They're in a they're in a monastery somewhere or something like that. Those are the really holy people. But uh, if if Jesus is our model for everything, then he was he was the the model of holiness and Jesus didn't do that. He was with people uh, and he loved people well. And, and so I think holiness, it, it's not, um, it, it, holiness is best displayed not by our outward adherence to the rules and regulations, but it's best displayed by how we love, by loving well. That, that's what real holiness is. It's loving people well. It's, it's about, it's realizing that it's not all about me and, and what I want, and, but it's, it's a, bigger story, right? That, that we talk about all the time, that we're part of a much greater story, his story. And he's invited us into his story. Uh, but he's the noun of the story and we're the adjectives. And, and so when, when Jesus models, you know, holy life uh, to us, it wasn't a life of isolation at all. I mean, he would, he would get away by himself at times to, to pray and to get connected with the father and to the source. But, but, you know, the way he modeled the holy life was being around people doing what they were doing. And, and loving them and meeting them where they were at. And then inviting them into the kingdom of God where they could experience real life. And so this life that we're called to, Ephesians 5, is a life of love, uh, he says. And, and that life of love is, is understanding it's about him and uh, about others and about ourselves. But we, we, we know that now, right? It's love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We call that loving God all in. And love your neighbor as yourself. And that uh, that's how this whole thing sort of comes together. And it has and always has been from the very beginning. When uh, when when God spoke uh, the ten words or the ten commandments uh, into the people, remember that those they were never to be construed as how you get 
delivered or saved because the people had already been delivered and saved. They'd already been rescued. This was how they were then supposed to live. So the, the, the Ten Commandments, we call them, or Ten Words, was never a law thing. It was, never, it was always a love thing, always. And it got messed up over time. But even in that, it's the, the Ten Commandments that Jesus summarized down into that statement I just gave you. Um, you can look at them, and the first three are about loving God, and the fourth one is about loving yourself. Because it's about the Sabbath, and, and I could make that connection, but I don't have time right now. Uh, and then the last ones are about loving others. And that, that if you love people well, you don't do things to them that you shouldn't do. You don't steal from them, you don't covet, you don't take stuff, you don't do any of those things because you love them, and you, you just wouldn't even think about it because it's, you're not the center of the story. So these are all sort of principles that um, he talks about. And then in Ephesians 5, uh, he, he talks about um, the, the, you know, the, the, a life that uh, is, is yielded to the Spirit, produces fruit. And we've talked about that in depth and that that, that should be happening in your life. You, you should be yielding to the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit brings in us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And that these are ever developing as we continue to yield to him in the process. But he's he's doing those things in us. These these things are the things that should be happening um, as we yield to the spirit. That's the best thing to be looking for is that you're 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 changing in those areas over time that that you, you sort of understand that's the deal. And then in Ephesians six, he begins by talking about how important it is that um, that we understand that we're one in Christ. And, and the, the mystery uh, that, that God has done is that in the church, he's brought together, um, you know, Jew and Gentile and that that we're one in Christ. And, and because of what he's done and, you know, we, we talked about how we're, we're, you know, we're part of that process. We're living stones being constructed into, uh, you know, his holy temple that that um, the, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Um, makes us now the, the, the very temple, the very presence of the living God. And how amazing that is. We, we spent quite a bit of time on one of the weekends looking through the connections of how, um, uh, how you know, God uh, was tabernacled at first and the tabernacle was where the presence of God was. Remember, when they built the tabernacle and that was the literal presence of God for a while, which came into the actual temple that was built and then God was there and then the temple was destroyed and, and then there was no place where God in heaven met because that's what happened in the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, and then they rebuilt the temple, but the presence of God didn't show back up. And they didn't know why until Jesus came up, uh, until Jesus came and, and he dwelt among us. Remember in John in the world, there's he tabernacled among us. And now in Jesus, there's a place where heaven and earth met again. And, and, uh, and then, you know, he says, if you destroy this temple, uh, I'll, I'll build it again. I'll rebuild it. It'll come back in three days. And he was talking about himself. He was the temple. And then when he dies and, and defeats death and, and is resurrected and makes a way for us to be reconciled to God and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we're the temple. We're the place. In you is where heaven and earth meet once again. And, uh, and so this is, you know, this is amazing stuff that's life changing when you think about it. It, it, if, if, you, if you start to dwell on those things and it doesn't impact your day-to-day life, you're not, you're not letting it hit you with its, the fullness of all that it really is. And so uh, we understand then, and we, we talked a lot about this in, in, when we were doing the series, is that you know, he, he gives us our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, and how that impacts us in this life, that, that it's not about us, that, that really this life is loving God, loving others, loving ourselves. And then when we get to Ephesians 6.10, that's, that's probably where the first scripture is on your, on your notes that I gave you. 
I wanted to go through this. We just talked about this last weekend, um, but I was making a lot of other connections uh, on the weekend. And so I wanted to take a few minutes to, to sort of spend a, a little time developing the idea of the armor of God in case you weren't with me when I did this in the series some time ago. So some time ago. So let me read these verses to you. Finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, that is such a powerful passage of scripture um, that uh, I've encouraged you over the years to memorize it as much as you can, and also to daily pray on the armor of God. That that if if I had to start sort of handpicking prayers that you would pray, that I would say this is at the top of the list, this idea of at some point every day praying on the armor of God. Because we're in a very real battle with a very real enemy, and we have a tendency, if if we don't do things that help us remember who we are and remember what's going on in this life we slip back into our old ways very quickly and i love how he says here when, when he he starts this and and he says you know that our our battle is not against our struggle the daily struggle the things that we struggle with in life is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms so the real battle that we face every day is a spiritual battle. And, and yet, if we're not being aware of that, we, start, we go right back into it being a flesh and blood thing. And, and we'll, we'll start to let little things bother us that shouldn't because it's not where the battle lies. Anybody here ever been annoyed by somebody? <laughs> and and you're, you're still going to get annoyed, but at some level, if you can... If you can understand that there's something else going on and that everybody that you run across is broken, everybody, and the way they deal with their brokenness comes out in different ways. And, and if you can sort of understand that their brokenness could make them, you know, mean or sharp or, or, or think that it's all about them, but often that's just their own protective stuff coming out. And, and if you can realize it, you don't tell them, oh, that's just you being this or that because that just makes it worse. You... Uh, Right? Don't you, you hear me? Just, just, just some advice. Don't if you if you get some discernment on why somebody is the way they are, don't share it with them. <laughs> That's for you. And then you go because that what that does and it lets you have some compassion again. Where if you if you share it, it's just about you. So you, you take it in and all of a sudden you go, okay, I get now why that's happening. And you can have boundaries. I'm not telling you let people walk all over you. But, but the reality is most of the stuff that we're dealing with that's, that's sort of getting us off track and, and messing life up is flesh and blood stuff. And that's not where the battle is. It's, it's against the enemy. And he's using things like that. And he, he's very good about knowing what pushes your buttons. 
That's why I have so many driving stories. I'm aware of what he does. And, and, uh, and I'm getting better all the time, but I'm not fixed yet. But I'm still not ready to put a bumper sticker on my car that says I love Jesus. <laughs> when my driving is fully redeemed, I'll put a bumper sticker on it. But it's not yet. So, this, this letter, this idea of the armor of God, and I still have wristbands out there. I, I put one on every day. You'll see me. Uh, I always have this on if I've prayed on the armor. I, I don't just put it on arbitrarily. I pray, and then I put it on. And, and if I'm going to get ready, and I, I see it, and I haven't prayed, I stop right there, and I pray it on. S- simple prayer. Listen, it's, it's just like this, and, and it, because it keeps me engaged. Lord, I, I put on the belt of truth, your truth, and I put on the breastplate of righteousness, and I shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I take up the, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, God, and having done everything to stand, I'm going to stand in you. And I remember it's, it's not flesh and blood. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual thing. And I'm, 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 I'm off and, and running, and, and then I get back to it. I have it there and think about it all the day. You need to think about it. Well, if you were here on the weekend, I said that a lot of that armor, I showed you where it exists in the Old Testament, and that, that when we're putting it on, that, that as I looked at it in the Old Testament, you, you see how the Lord is in each piece, and what we're doing is we're, we're just putting our faith in the Lord. When we put that on, it's a reminder. It's his story, and we're just a part of his story. But Paul has sort of been talking about all the armor throughout the book of Ephesians in, in different concepts. And so and then he just puts it together for us at the end. So he talks about the belt of truth. And in Ephesians 4.25, which we read a couple of chapters ago, he said, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. So the, the belt of truth, pardon me, is about the importance of honesty and, and openness in our relationship with one another. It's about, you know, being uh, people that, that understand that, that, you know, that's where life is found. It's about being real and, and talking to people and, and uh, you know, operating in truth in what we do. The breastplate of righteousness he talked about in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Uh, and he said, you were taught, verse 22, with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And, and so uh, righteous and, and holy, we talked about holiness a minute ago, but that whole concept comes from a heart that, that loves God and loves others. That's, that's where that comes from. And the, those scriptures we spent uh, time on, on just a couple of weekends ago, where it's like, I love the picture. It's about taking something off and putting something on. And I, when we came to Christ, the thing is that, um, so we were born with our old nature. That's how you're born into the world. You have the old nature. It's a sin nature. And then when you come to Christ, when you're reborn, born again, you get a new nature. But, but the old nature didn't get replaced. Now you have two natures. That's what we sort of go to every day with. We have two natures, and we get to choose which one we're going to put on. That's what Paul's saying. You get to choose. You, you're going to walk in the old one, or you're going to walk in the new one. And it's up to you. Life is in the new one. Nothing good is in the old one, but you get that choice. And, and to me, that's such a great picture because I'm putting that armor on. I'm thinking I'm also putting on this, this, this new life. I want to be that person. I know that that's where life is. And I, I know sometimes I'll pop that off and drop, put the old stuff on. I can feel it, um, but I can get it back off again and switch. But you want to stay in that new, in that new life because that's where life is found. And, and that new life is 
much more like him, right? That's, that's when you start to, to live in ways that honor him and please him and everybody else around you. Uh, he talked about the gospel of peace. Throughout Ephesians, he talks about the importance of peace. But in, in Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so, again, this idea of peace comes, um, you know, in Christ, where because of what Jesus has done, we're at peace with God. Um, because we're justified now. We've talked about that a lot. Just as if we haven't sinned, God's choosing to see us in the perfection of His Son. So we're at peace with God. And because we're at peace with Him, we can experience His peace. And because we can experience His peace, then we can be at peace with others. The idea, again, is we're not the center of the story. That's when you start feeling some peace in your life. Get yourself out of the center of the story. There's no peace to be had there. Uh, the, the, The peace comes from being in His story and understanding that process. The shield of faith... um, you know, our, our faith and our trust is in God. Uh, and and we, he, Paul, told, uh, Paul told us in Ephesians 3 we can do, that God can do more than we can imagine. Even imagine. That's why we're to trust Him. Ephesians 3.20 Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. So, so we understand, you know, that, that, that our faith, our trust is in God and that He's got us. The helmet of salvation... Um, you know, it's, it's understanding who we are in Him and, and who He is, and, and it changes the way that we look at life. He said in Ephesians three fourteen through 19, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so there's something about that and that you put that helmet of salvation on and you understand, you know, what it means to to be saved. Remember that the ideas, and I I touched on a minute ago, but salvation, there's, there's... you're, you're, you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. There's tense in that word, tension. And so, so you are saved, and we, we talk about that as justification. That's when you came to Christ, when you gave your life to Him, you're saved. He, he, he now sees you in the perfection of His Son, justified. You're being saved, because once you're justified, when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you, tabernacles. And so now we're the place where heaven and earth meet. And what's happening is, we're, that idea is we're being sanctified, Sanctification is the word that happens there in this process. We're being changed. Uh, and that, that change is ongoing throughout the course of our lives. Uh, it, it just keeps going until um, we go to be with Jesus or he comes to get us, whichever happens first. And then we're glorified. That's glorification. That's when everything is, uh, you know, reset and, and, and new bodies and all the cool stuff and no more pain and no more sorrow and just all the promises happen. We're in last three chapters of Revelation stuff. So, so that's the idea of salvation. And when you, when you put it on, you should be thinking about all those things and what it means in your life. And then the, the sword of the Spirit, uh, you know, verse 17, the helmet said, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I'm always talking to you about that, the importance of reading the Scripture. Um, that, that, and you have to read it like it's written. It's this amazing book. With, 
and, and never sort of think it's a rule book. People that have read it do it out of duty. It just becomes a dry nothing. But ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's going on and then, then read it how it was written as this amazing book of love and promises and, and, and how the Father cares about you and what He's done from the very beginning. Even though we've turned our back on Him, everyone here has gone our own way, how He's pursued us and made a way for us to be reconciled and how redemption is just written throughout the, the chapters and that the Old Testament is filled with amazing pictures of, of what God's done and, and is doing and, and lead us to, to Christ and just amazing stuff that, that all of that's in there. So understand the power of the word. Okay, so that finishes Ephesians. Philippians, let's just take a few minutes and get going and then we'll, we'll dig into it more next week. Um, again, Philippians is uh, written by Paul and um, Timothy probably had a hand in helping him uh, in the writing of this. Uh, it was written around A.D. 61. It was written while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Uh, and uh, this would be about uh, 30 years after after the uh, crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And uh, this would be, oh, 10 years after um, Paul uh, first preached at Philippi. So Paul, you know, on his missionary journeys, he, would, he, he went on the first one to most of these places, and then he returned to see what was going on, and sometimes he would stay. Um, he went to Philippi on his second missionary journey, if you ever want to tie these back together, you go and read Acts 16, and and you find there that um, the the people that were sort of used to start the church, we believe, was Lydia, uh, and you see that she was brought into it. And one of my favorite stories I tell all the time was the Philippian jailer. Remember, we've read the story about I, I, if you've been here, you've heard me talk about the Philippian jailer that you know the. Paul and Silas are in prison and, and they're singing at midnight even after they've been beaten unjustly and, and whipped and how they're going to do things. And they, they just start praising God and all of a sudden uh, there's an earthquake, it says, that happens to unlock all the doors and all the chains. So it's quite a powerful earthquake. Uh, and, and the jailer comes rushing in about to kill himself because he thinks that everybody has left. And Paul said, we're all here. And, and he goes, I, I love it. He just looks at Paul and says, I don't know what it is you got, but I want it. And he says, so, you know, what, what do I need to do? And he said, you need to know Jesus. And, and so out of that begins the church in Philippi. And uh, it's pretty well established by the time Paul writes this. And he actually writes this. The church in Philippi had a great start. And he actually writes this to people that are, that are doing pretty well uh, in, their, in their journey, in their walk. It's not a lot of corrective stuff that goes on uh, to the church in, in uh, Philippi. Uh, and and he, he had a special place for the Philippians. I, you know, you could probably say that they're his favorite. But, uh, but I'm sure he would say that about all of them. I know somebody else that does that. You're my favorite. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, every verse I'm reading is my favorite at the moment. So some of the amazing verses that are in Philippians. And uh, we're, we're actually just moved into Philippians on, on the weekends as well. So it's neat that these are sort of dovetailing. Um, Philippians 1, 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Isn't that an amazing passage? That's, that's someone that's just settled in the love of God and is aware of the fact that... Um, so I, I use this term. It's not an original. It, it, it's, we're all just change in God's pocket. And He can spend us however He wants. And, and that's very freeing. 
uh, there's something about that I think that's very helpful to understand that God's got us and it's his life and he, he, however he wants to use it. And if we just allow that to happen, that's where we find life. And when we fight against it, there's no life. And, and so, so Paul writes this from prison. And again, I, I think, and he's in prison for doing the right thing. He's not in prison for doing something he shouldn't. He's in prison for doing the right thing. And I, I think I would struggle against that some, uh, personally. And, and he doesn't. He's just at a place where he's like, okay, well, if I'm here, God must want me here. And it's not what he wanted to be doing, probably. You know, he liked going and traveling and ministering to churches. But God redeems the time because Paul sits and he writes and he, he says how he, he has, he's talking to these guards all the time and they're getting saved and God is just using it. People are coming to visit him and, they're, they're, and so he's still doing stuff. He's just, you know, stuck at the moment. But he says, listen, it, for me to live is Christ. If, as long as I'm around, it's him. And, and when, when it's done... I'm with Jesus. It's, it's all good. It's a gain for me. And, and that's a powerful understanding of the process that um, we need to get a hold of at some level. Philippians 3, 7. This is great. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Oh, that's Paul's profit and loss statement. That's really funny. I'm sorry. You didn't get that. Or maybe you were just hoping I would leave it alone. <laughs> so, um, again, something to reflect on. And, and, and reflect on those, you know, that, that this week, because it's so, so true. What, whatever was uh, to my profit, the things that I used to hang on to so desperately, uh, I realize now that, that everything that Jesus has for me is way better than all the stuff I used to hang on to. Uh, Philippians 4.4, 4, you will know this next group of verses if you've been here. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Um, that, that, that idea means that, that no matter what the circumstance, we should experience a measure of joy in our lives when we know Christ. It doesn't mean that we like everything that's going on and that we have to be fake happy. You don't want pretend joy to be the hallmark I have a, I don't think I used it lately. My description of pretend joy is, fake joy is when, when, when at the, like the Miss America beauty pageant or whatever, and it's down to the last two, that they, and they're, they're, they're all excited about, and the one that doesn't win, that's fake joy, whatever she's expressing at that moment. Because <laughs> that is not what's really going on. Like, I'm, really? I'm this close? <laughs> Then I used to laugh. I hope there's something that you've done that's, <laughs> that's going to come up real quick. And then it's me. So, <laughs> it's terrible, right? <laughs> but that's why I'm in process. I haven't arrived yet. I have these things. God has to work on. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Verse 5. Let your gentleness, it's not even your notes, be evident to all the Lord is near. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all, your, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. Um, you should know those. Those are important verses. That, that, um, that passage is my favorite. Uh, 
No, verse 6 is, is probably the verse that I say more than any other verse in the Scripture. Do not, to myself, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I, I'm, I'm there all day long. I'm, I, and I'll go through that whole passage when I need to, but that verse, I'm there all day long. Because anytime, anytime you start to feel anxious or worried, or if you can catch yourself here, you save yourself a whole lot of time. Because worry is ineffective. Worry doesn't do you anything. And unfortunately, we've all been trained throughout the course of our lives to worry well. And it's, it's just a complete waste of your, your emotion and your, and, your, and your holy imaginations. So that's why you can worry so well, is that God gave you a holy imagination and you're misusing it. So some of you are great worriers, right? It's, a lot of you can figure out every bad possible scenario and you've spent time thinking about it. And that's wasted time. Why are you supposed to pray instead? Prayer does something. Worry does nothing. Prayer does something. Prayer's effective. Because prayer, prayer, prayer either, either God responds or, or you, you change when you pray. And you, you don't have to be anxious anymore. God's got it. You don't need to worry about it. Um, it goes on in verse 13. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. It's a promise. So whatever's coming, you got it. I can, whatever, God. got me. Even when I don't like it, you got me. And it's temporary. Because everything's temporary except life with Him. So uh, be thinking about those verses, and then I'm, I'm going to be done now because we're going to stay on time. I have Philippians 2, 5, and 11 there, but I'm actually going to talk about that not this weekend, but the following weekend, so we'll get to that one, and we'll be talking about it next week anyway. So there you go. If you're watching on video, thanks for watching, and come and visit us when you can. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.